0: All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Workflow Wednesday. This week, we're joined by composer, producer, VR, sound design expert, and uh, multi-instrumentalist, I believe I saw, uh, Justin Lassen. Thank you very much for joining us today. And also our internal expert, uh, Matt Bach, our senior labs technician and sort of content creator expert uh welcome welcome everybody thank you for joining us yeah
1: thanks for having me awesome uh
0: so justin just in case anybody doesn't already know uh go ahead and introduce yourself give us a little background about who you are and what you do
1: sure uh my name is justin lassen and i'm a sound designer composer producer remixer uh i also work in uh, the tech field with uh, video game companies and like Intel, Microsoft, on uh, new technologies and things, uh, and I'm kind of just everyone's favorite little underdog that helps on all kinds of little projects. Um, I also have been working in virtual reality for the last six years, so I got to work on a bunch of cool stuff, like the Spider-Man VR experience and all kinds of stuff, so that's a little bit about me.
0: That's super cool. Actually, when I was I was kind of doing a little bit of research the other day, I was I was a little shocked, actually, to see all of the projects that you've that you've at least are credited on and and then never and hadn't really heard of you outside of of the work that we've done, you know, uh as a company together and I feel like that's a little unfair. You've done some really cool stuff and I'm uh, I'm surprised that you don't, aren't a bigger name in in I suppose just
1: Right. Public. Uh one of the other things I do a lot is I do factory content for uh, composing software and audio and editing software. So a lot of my sonic DNA is in keyboards and plugins and software. And they'll be like, oh, I use, you know, Cakewalk or Personas. And I'm like, yeah, a little piece of me is in, in each of those. So <laughs> I'm sort of, uh, yeah, behind the scenes famous, I guess. Um, yeah. It's kind of like uh, a lot of famous people know who I am, but then, yeah, the general public are like, oh, yeah, who's that? Guy? Oh, cool, you know. So, right. Uh, but I'm not trying to be famous. I just want to work on cool projects. So, um, yeah.
0: I can dig that. Yeah. Um, I feel similarly about my
2: work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think it's funny how a lot of the things that really make like a film uh, like really feel good are the small things that people don't even realize. Audio is a huge one. Color, uh, all that kind of stuff. Like, there's no big colorist names that anyone knows either. But right. um, like, it's so essential. And same thing with audio. Like Audio is like probably the number one thing that like makes like a good film from a mediocre film,
1: I, at least I feel like. Besides like, story. I mean, obviously, the story's crap. But. Yeah, the, the <laughs> thing I always say is uh, Jaws wouldn't be as scary without John Williams' two notes. Um, oh, right. And could you actually sit through three and a half hours of Lord of the Rings without that beautiful score? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that... As humans, we need that music and that connection oh, to yeah. like the emotional side of sound uh, yeah. to kind of hang in there and, and connect with the characters and everything happening on screen. And we even connect on just on a visceral level with just ambience, mm-hmm. just a beautiful sonic design of um, like a cave or a, an alien spaceship. Without that ambience, it's just set design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say one of the things that, like,
2: as I've gotten more into like the content creation field, um, there are some things I wish I didn't know. How like uh, every time there's like a hawk or a bird, it's oh no.
1: Um, but you're right. There is a lot of stuff that's reused over and over again. But typically, sound designers will take it and try to at least add some mix verb to it or, you know, a slight flange to it or some chorus or something to, to change it and make it theirs. Because a lot of us, yeah, we do use a lot of the same uh, sample libraries, especially for music production, like strings and orchestral stuff and uh, even synth stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, like, you know, Roland has these cool keyboards and there's a million sounds in them, but you give it to you know, a million different people and they're all going to use it differently. So even though we all have the same tool, we can do completely far out there, otherworldly things with it. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, cool
0: that's cool we did have a little bit of a hiccup there so we missed a, a, a portion of what you guys were talking about but i think it'll be okay <laughs> we might be having a few technical difficulties uh during this during this particular episode so please audience please forgive us and uh you know kind of hang in there uh but yeah
2: <laughs> so um yeah. with all this stuff now like we can make sure our internet works and our computers are fine but we can't control the You know the the servers that all this is going through right yeah so um i've been curious um
0: i i I don't i don't mean to be too uh shallow or, or basic but i am really curious how you got into like music and sound design and and what you do in the beginning
1: oh yeah um so i'm one of those 90s kids that grew up uh you know, on really crazy Windows 98, Windows 95 computers. So, and before that I was doing like sequencing in Windows 3.1 and, and Atari 800XL. So I'm, I go way back when sequencing and MIDI was kind of really new. And my first DAW was Cakewalk, which used to come out when there was this company called Creative Labs uh, yeah. that created sound cards. We don't really need sound cards <laughs> anymore because it's sort of built into motherboards now. But there was a time when like having the coolest sound card was like a big deal. Oh, yeah. uh, and so Cakewalk is what kind of got me into it. And then um, uh, obviously I'm back, you know, MySpace kid too. So like my music was out on MySpace and I was collecting friends or whatever that was all about. Uh, and then there was this one site called mp3.com. Mm-hmm. And it allowed artists to upload their tracks and um, find a following and and listeners and things like that. Um, So I sent out demos and stuff, and we used to have these things called CDRs (laughs) um, back in the day for demos. And I sent them out to, like, a million different record labels and famous people and hoping that um, somebody would respond. And, of course, nobody responded except for one person, (laughs) uh, Robert Miles, rest in peace. He was my mentor. He's the guy that brought me into uh, the record industry. Um, He actually had a song called Children that was a massive hit. It had like hundreds of millions of listens. It's still really cool. And if you Google it, you'll see he's a really cool guy. Um, and uh, he believed in me. He heard my uh, symphonic uh, string arrangements and uh, you know took, uh, took me under his wing and helped me start into in the remix field. Uh, gave me a lot of introductions to um, different celebrities and, and bigger artists. And he set me on the path to start doing remixes for like madonna and lincoln park and nine inch nails and and a lot of the you know different artists that i got uh to get stems from and do cool remixes with so um so that's kind of the start and um later i got into sound design for video games and um you know doing like whooshes and gunshots and hitting doors and slamming things and and i really got into foley work and uh and field recording so to this day, that's been one of my favorite things: to take found sounds and ambience and environmental stuff and mix it together and create, um, you know, new textures and new objects and new things uh, oh, wow. to play with. And then later on, I got into Unreal Engine and Unity and learned how to do blueprints and um, take those sounds and like design uh, custom objects for games. So yeah, it's been a long oh, process, but it's been cool. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, like, that's
0: the kind of thing you see behind the scenes, where like they'll take like a head of cabbage and slam it onto a
1: car hood to make like a punch sound or something like that, like that kind of a thing. That's right. Yeah. So, a single sound effect in a film or game might be like 18 or even 100 layers of different things, uh, with all kinds of plugins and effects running on it. And then the the player or the listener of the movie. Thinks, oh, cool! That was a neat, like, zombies head rolling off of a, a thing. But they don't realize that we actually had to break a few cabbages and, you know, what, like you said, different things like that uh, to get to the the perfect one. And especially with games, because you want variation. You can't just have one, or it'll sound like um, machine gun effect, where it's just the same thing over and over again. So mm-hmm. we'll do like, you know, 18 different versions, so that it's always a little bit different. Um, it it gets fun though. It's cool. That's cool. Wow. Uh,
0: so recently, I know uh, recently you did kind of like a world tour of sorts for uh, field recording, I think, as you had mentioned. Um, that must have been pretty cool. Um, I'm curious to know more about like the technical side of that. Um, either difficulties, like what kind of what kind of equipment you were using and um, and just how, how you did that.
1: Yeah, so that was for my Black Fox Society sound library. And we went to 22 different countries. And the biggest difficult thing was going through airports and having to explain to security people that all of this recording equipment is not a bomb. It is not (laughs) dangerous. I had to open it up, turn it on, make sure it worked for all of them. Uh, Because um, I'm using ambisonic mics, which look kind of crazy. They've got four capsules on them to capture like 360 um, audio of the scene. And then of course I had like a Zoom recorder which had all these crazy cables sticking out of it. It's like this like box type thing. And uh, so I, it end up, ends up looking like, like you have this like high end crazy equipment and it's heavy. I'm having it in all these little backpacks and I'm having to go on trains and planes and boats and and not get it uh, wet or let it fall in the river like when you're in the jungle and stuff. and. Uh, when it was rainy, I'd had to like put things over it. So the the hardest part was just keeping that stuff safe. <laughs> but sure. um, but once you get to the various places, it's actually really ah oh,
0: dang it, hold on,
1: Alex and and crazy ambience and stuff, um, and uh, I captured. Um, Impulse responses, which is where you play a frequency of uh, tone into a room, capture the response that it that it plays out in the room, and then I can bring it back to my DAW. And then simulate those reverbs of those environments right back home in my studio so I did that all over the world got a bunch of that stuff and uh, created a massive massive library of eight and a half hours. Wow. of uh, surround spatial audio. <laughs> so, so you can get like the, I, I don't know what
2: you would call it, the room tone or not, not room tone, but like you can recreate what it would sound like in different
1: buildings. Right. Yeah. So IR, yeah. which is impulse response, responses, uh, you play an impulse and then the room gives you a response. And then with a convolution reverb plugin, you can actually, um, then add that uh, simulated version of that room to um, whatever you're working on. Um, Unreal is even doing that with Unreal Engine 5 uh, that they showed off the demo for. Uh, they're kind of simulating caves and things uh, to give more realism in video games, too. So, hmm. But we've, we've had it in the audio world for so many years now. It's, it's just it's a, it's a sound designer's tool. Like We, just, we use it as a, a, a painting tool for sound. It's pretty cool.
0: Oh, neat. That's a cool way of putting it. a Painting tool for sound. Huh. Uh, so I'm i am curious. Uh, so you and I have a little bit of a background. I built one of your machines a few years back. Oh, you were. were uh, um, I
1: was going to say, you cut out for a second, I didn't.
0: Oh, sorry about that. Um, so uh, you and I have a little bit of a background. Uh, I built one of your PCs a few years back. Uh, and at that time, um, and I think you're still kind of into, into that space, it was uh, for VR sound Production, I think, um, and and we I know we had a good conversation about like how all of that works. Um, how has things changed since then? It's been a few years.
1: Yeah, so that system was definitely a, a smaller uh, system, and um, you know it had even less space. And now that I have bigger sound libraries, um, I've needed more uh, terabytes of space for the for the system. So. On my new Puget system, um, there's now like four terabyte drives instead of two, because um, I was getting really close to always maxing those out. Um, and uh, of course, with the newer software I've got, I've wanted um, higher clock count and less cores, um, oh, so okay. that I can run more, uh, which is the, a big difference, because last time we went with more uh, core count, and then uh, but smaller uh, clock count. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's about it. Otherwise, um, uh, this is actually the, this Puget system right here is the fastest computer I've ever had. So (laughs) I'm so grateful for it. It's amazing. Um, what about like the the software side or the tool side, have have the tools advanced a lot in the last few years? Yeah. So a lot of, in the audio world, uh, DAWs or digital audio workstations are becoming multi-core or for parallel processing. So now like within studio one, the DAW that I use. Um, you can actually, uh, table, any cores you want, um, or, you know, turn them on or off or, based on how you want your system. So that's been really nice to finally catch up with like video editing people who've kind of had that for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's amazing. Like what you can do when you can load up a million plugins without worrying about the system crashing or the DAW shutting down <laughs> thanks to it, um, Parallel processing across the, you
0: know, all the cores. So, yeah. Nice. That's pretty cool. Uh, we did have a question from Twitch. DJ Summerwolf was asking what kind of four terabyte drives? I believe we use Western Digital for, unless you had the. I think you put points. in uh, some Samsung. Um, oh, the, the big the big M.2 drives.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I suppose it be, it might be the no, 50s. No. They were the they, for the storage drives that you put my mm-hmm. samples on. They're the big uh, 2.5 SSDs. But okay. for my system C drive, you put a M.2. Um, there we go. Yeah. So. Okay. And it's good enough for um, orchestral libraries and uh, all my beats and all my sound effects to run off the four terabytes. Because um, that was one of the big things on the phone. You guys asked me like, "What do you need more of?" I'm like, "I need more space. I don't want to have to keep <laughs> plugging in USB 3 drives." To try to let things transfer and stuff so it's kind of nice that it's all in the system now so yeah well we just uh
2: samsung just launched an eight terabyte drive
1: oh. we just added those to our <laughs>
2: systems they're, they're weird though they, they don't have as good of speed or something or okay. i don't know they're, they're a weird drive but so eight terabyte solid state is amazing we can do that yeah that's, that's awesome
0: that's pretty cool hmm i wonder Oh, I had another question and I lost it. Hang on. I'm sorry. Um, it was in regards to part of our email. Um, I apologize for... Oh, lost one while he's talking yeah, about go that. go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. are
2: you using? Speakers?
1: Oh, uh, right now I'm in, using these uh, ones from Personas called Ares 4.5BT or Bluetooth. Um, and they're kind of cool because they're unassuming. I don't know if you can kind of see it in the, in the picture. They look kind of little, yeah. but they pack a punch. And I've had giant JBL monitors and, um, you know, I, I've had all kinds of different monitors over the years. And for my little writing studio here, um, these things, like, can kick. Like, they are so loud. I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, you wouldn't think that from how, how small the drivers are. But um, I dig them. They're, they're, um, and they're portable. I can take them from room to room or do whatever I want with them. So they're nice. Huh. I, I ask because I've been trying
2: to figure out audio. I got some, I think they're Mackies because I'm not going to spend a lot of money because I'm not doing really audio stuff. And but like those ones have like a, a hum, like a pretty loud hum anytime they were on. So I, those kind of sucked. I just switched over to some Pioneers and they seem to be much better. But again, I'm not a actual big old audiophile. I just want something that's
1: going to work. Well. These aren't even yeah. that expensive actually. Like that's really? these are like uh, on the low end as far as price. And uh you wouldn't think that they sound this good for how much they cost. They're they're really cool. Um I recommend them for sure. PreSonus? I'll, I'll check them out. Yeah, they're cool. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, those are
2: not bad at all. <laughs>
0: Uh, I wonder, I'm curious more about the the VR work and kind of what goes into um, I suppose like a combination of like the goal for the VR sound design and things like that, but then also um, the the process there, like um, how do you get to the end result?
1: Yeah, so thankfully in my last system, you guys put a 1080 Ti in when I was working on Spider-Man and stuff, so that was really nice to be able to run everything without any problems uh but as far as the process of getting audio in uh in in the uh, we we have to make these things called blueprints um okay and blue blueprints are basically uh it's kind of like you can script the audio to do and, and behave however you want it to behave so you might get a bunch of mono sources or stereo sources or even ambisonic data you can bring them all in and um you know give them rules set random generators Uh, You know, like for footsteps, you wouldn't want it to always be the same. So you can like randomize like, like the pitches a little bit and things like that. Um, There's different um, third party solutions as well. But I find that unreal has beautiful tools built and ready to go. Uh, So yeah, so there's that. And then there's, of course, crushing down an ambisonic format formatted uh, WAV file down to stereo because not everything has to be in that format. Sometimes you can just take a couple mono sources in the engine and place them in different parts of the, the level and then they create their own uh, spatial environment. But that's kind of how we immerse people in VR. If that if the audio isn't like truly like all around you, not just like, um, think of it like this. If I played an MP3, it would lock to my head like this, and then as I move, that audio is just doing that. But imagine if it's just here. And then when I move around, the audio is like it stays in place. But then I am now the the perceptor of that audio. So it's cool. Um, And and there in the beginning of VR, there really was no rules. It was like Wild West, uh, like six years ago, like the headsets. (laughs) I remember like uh, getting early uh, access to like the Oculus before it was called the Oculus. Uh, when it was just like Velcro and duct tape taped to the head, and it was like, hey, Justin, come into the secret room and check this out uh, kind of vibe. So, um, yeah, it was really neat to kind of see this industry kind of explode so quickly, like this vertical slice that's happened. And I hope it continues. Um, I do hope that the next generation of all the headsets get better and faster and cooler um, and actually more available because it's actually been really disappointing That they've been out of stock everywhere, and not just because of COVID 19 and and the pandemic and quarantine and stuff, but just in general, it's hard to get people into them when they were the barrier of entry was so high. So it's neat that they're making like more affordable VR headsets so that more people can actually enjoy these things. And it's neat that even the processing power is getting smaller and smaller, where it's like, wow, like even the Quest can just run on its own, which is really nice. That's true. I still prefer the RTX. You know, 2080 Ti kind of VR experience with like ray tracing and all that fun stuff. Uh, but you know, um, but even uh, like a you know a 1060 can can even still give you a, a decent VR experience. So um, so yeah, it's been a really fun industry to be part of. To talk to the makers and the shakers and creators of, uh, and we're all kind of friends. The thing about virtual reality is that like on on our Facebook networks, we're all buds. We're all friends. We're we're all. Uh, getting awards together and and cheering each other on. And and uh, like, I remember when we got nominated for the Emmy for for uh, Spider-Man, we were in a uh, good company. We had like NASA, we had like Pixar's Coco. We had, um, you know, all these, but, you know, eventually NASA won. But we always told ourselves, like, if you're going to lose to somebody, let it be NASA because, you know, yeah. that's... But it's still an honor to be nominated it's like now we get to say as a team that we were um an emmy nominated uh, vr team so it's like it's it's a huge honor it's really cool yeah. uh, and we didn't set out uh thinking of those things what we really wanted to do is just make a really cool immersive experience where you could be spider-man and like shoot out webs and and uh you know that kind of thing so it was fun it was a really cool project
0: that's neat um what would you say is the hardest part about VR sound design?
1: The hardest part about VR sound design? Um, ooh, I think uh, for me, there's not really a hard part. It's, it's cool. just fun. Um, cool. I mean, I mean, I guess the hardest part about sound design in general is sourcing the material, and that means mm-hmm. field recording and getting out in the world with microphones and doing the, the hard legwork of it. Because, you know, once you get all that data on a drive back on your computer at home, um, uh, you can kind of sit down and chill. Um, but getting out there and actually, like, doing that hard work, that's that's a whole project on its own. But that's, that should be its own title. But as a, sound designers, we have to wear multiple hats. So we're always okay. like, no, I'll, I'll get the material, and I'll edit it down, and I'll organize it. And then you come back with, like, terabytes like I, on that trip i came back with um five terabytes of audio wow and um that's a lot to go through a lot I of think, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah so i so i guess that's kind of the hardest part is just organizing it because a lot of times these uh microphones and recorders they call it like untitled one two three so everything uh-huh. doesn't have a title so you bring it back to the computer and you're like what what was this oh i think this was on the river oh, no, 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 that was in the, uh, oh, we were on the elephant, uh, recording the elephant when we did that, or, or whatever. And so you have to kind of go through and name them. And and so we kind of had a process for each time we got back to the hotel room to at least try to go through the day's work and kind of name, like, at least where a certain recording was made so we can, you know, determine what to do with it later. But, uh, yeah, organization is um, pretty tough. But I think that goes for almost any project, even people shooting video and stuff. I'm sure they get a lot of untitled dot M4As or whatever, M- right. you know, MP4s, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious,
2: how, because uh, audio, I don't know if I have a great sense of like how much space things take up. So like if you're recording like a minute of audio out there, because I'm assuming you're recording a pretty high quality if you're trying to do this stuff, like how much space does that take up?
1: Oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah. So the recorder I had can record up to 192 kilohertz. Um, and that gives you a lot of headroom. And, um, I personally didn't record that high, um, because like, I'm not trying to do scientific calculations of, of, uh, Doppler effects and things like that. Um, but it's cool that the technology can do that. And most DAWs can support, um, editing that format. I, I kept my uh, recording around 96 kilohertz, um, uh, you know, so, it, like, think of it, like, 44.1 is CD quality, 48 is, like, DVD, 96 is just um, a little bit overkill, it's like, it's like Blu-ray, and then I went with 24-bit instead of 16-bit, so that had more resolution, so when you're mm. editing, you can always go down, but when you try to, like, go up, you're it's not going to do anything, because it, it can yeah. create resolution that's not there to begin with. Um, But it takes up a lot of, like even 96 takes up a lot of space. um, And it definitely takes a lot more uh, processing power on the computer when you get back home, once you have a 96-24 session instead of a 44-16 session. And uh, because of that, you'll see your CPU meter like jump up the the more tracks you get. Like a lot of our sound designs uh, that I came back with, um, like one beautiful ambience might actually be like a hundred layers of um uh different sounds so i might take sure. like a deep cave sound in uh south korea mix it with uh, a creepy sound i got underneath the vatican and um uh, you know a bunch of other stuff and put them all together and kind of space them out then re-render it as one beautiful ambiance but it's kind of like i didn't set out to make a a sound library in the sense that it's like here's a river, here's a tree. You know, I, I wanted to be like more otherworldly about it and kind of give mm. everything creepy names like um, like the dark chambers where secrets are told. Like that's ah. the kind of titles I came up with. So that when people that are working at theme parks and uh, doing experiential stuff for rides and things, when they go through this library, they can actually um, just draw on just the titles and go, oh wow, a chamber of dark secrets, okay and they don't know it's just the vatican or, or whatever you know sure. um or a basilica or, or a catacomb or something like that so but but that was that's fun nice. it was cool to kind of be creative with the names as well as the audio yeah
0: that's neat it, it kind of it kind of gives an opportunity to to feel it more than just it's not it's not so much where the sound came from but more the like emotion that it evokes which i think is super cool
1: Right. Yeah. And a lot of it is when I would go back to listen to the finished pieces, they're very meditative. They're very like, they're almost like beautiful sound sculptures. Like even if you didn't put it in a video game or put it in a a movie trailer, if you were just listening to these, these um, ambiences, you would really feel transported to some other place. And I made sure that every single um, uh, ambient loop was seamless. So as it got to the end, it it started over perfectly without any hiccups yeah. or whatever. So that designers could quickly throw them into videos or throw them into VR or whatever. That's, and uh, but it was fun. It was it, it's just and then I got lost in it. Like during editing, I just sit back and go, Oh, that's <sighs> nice. You know, like <laughs> have you ever thought of making one of those YouTube channels
2: that just does the either white noise or like the relaxing right. things? It's like 10 hours of creek burgling.
1: i I could do that mine would be a little bit creepier because uh my library i sort of set it in the tone of like secret societies and um i had like a story with it like illuminati meets whatever because i tried to i try to give all my uh sound libraries different themes like that uh this was actually a sequel to my library from 10 years ago called white rabbit asylum which was the theme was like insane asylums and getting lost in your mind and, and, and anxiety and, and insanity and madness. And this time I was like, okay, Black Fox Society, the sequel will be, will be about secret societies and where, where um, uh, you know, chambers where like uh, people that control us are at. It's all just imaginary, but I'm just mm-hmm. having fun with those concepts and creating audio that fits that. But then I find that a lot of my friends uh, put it in their video games and and um, their projects in ways that I couldn't have even imagined. Like, it's like, wow, okay, you thought that, okay, cool, that fits, you know? And that's what's cool about making a library because you're kind of giving people a starting point and then they can take it and do whatever they want with it. They can edit the hell out of it. They can put effects on it and it becomes their creation after that point. So, um, <sighs> yeah. And then I've done a lot of like presets anyway for keyboards and, and plugins and, and stuff over the years. So I've heard my stuff like on the radio um, and commercials and TV. But it's neat to see what cool. um, people do with it. It's like <laughs> if I die, at least little pieces of me live on out in the world uh, for creators to have fun with. So, yeah. that's neat. <laughs> I, I I love the,
0: the 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 way you talk about it as as sound as art. Um, you, a, a lot of times we get caught up in the, in the idea of art as a lot of a visual medium. Um, and I just, I, I love how you're talking about it as like a sculpture and like you, you, as an experience in that way It's really, really neat. Um, I was also curious, how exactly do you get, um, that seamless loop? Like what, what goes into, cause like I've, I've tried to do it myself way back in the past and it's silly and it, you can hear the, the,
1: the break essentially, but like, how how does how do you do that? That's amazing. So, there's two techniques I use. Um, the most obvious one is that most audio editors like Adobe Audition and Soundforge uh, and uh, like Personas Studio One will allow you to go to null. Null is when in a sine wave that's going up and down from the, the string or the line in the middle, um, and that's how that, that's a waveform that's it goes up and down to create sound. At, at the intersection of which the line hits the, the, the bottom, you're at zero. and if you get 0 and zero, no matter what, it's not going to clip. Now that's one way. Now the way that I've done it actually for my library is I would because I add a lot of reverbs and effects and stuff. So mm-hmm. if you tried to like actually cut that loop out, the, the tail of the reverb would actually stop at that point and then it would be uh, unnatural and kind of uh, horrible sounding. So what I've done is I've created my layers, like 18 layers of stuff here, and then added all the reverbs and effects. But then I took that chunk, and I copied it here. And then I took that chunk, and I copied it here. Then I render all three of them out. And then I take another loop, and I cut just the center out so that then the Mm -hmm. reverb tail of A goes into B, and then B goes into C, and I'm only cutting Uh, be out. And then all of a sudden, those reverbs are the same reverbs as that, if that makes any sense. And Um, so the reverbs
2: aren't at the end, technically, they're in the middle.
1: Right. Um, And some DAWs like FL Studio, or or what I affectionately remember as Fruity Loops, because that's one of the old school DAWs that I actually started on, um, has a a feature in it called Seamless Render, um, where they actually do all that heavy lifting for you. And I haven't seen any other DAWs um, add that yet. I've definitely mm-hmm. made requests to different DAW manufacturers. Like, you guys got to do what FL Studio did. It's so rad. Um, but in the meantime, this, this technique still works really well. And it allows me to really critically listen to the end result. So, so those are two ways to do it. Neat. Thank you. That's pretty cool. Uh, DJ Summerwolf on
0: Twitch is wondering, uh, how do we find examples of your work?
1: So you can go to uh, uh, JustinLassen.com, and there's actually um, links to all this Black Fox Society stuff, including um, uh, a huge article on exactly how it was made and stuff like that. And there's demo tracks and um, SoundCloud links and all that stuff there as well. So yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm gonna punch that into the chat here. Oh, uh, I'm curious. What's been your most – so actually two-part question. Most challenging project, but then also like your favorite one, the one that stands out as like, man, that was super awesome.
1: Oh, man. That you can Uh, talk about? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forget about that part. (laughs) I do have some favorites that I can't talk about, but uh, as far as what I can talk about – some of the most hmm wow most challenging um that i can't talk about Uh, (laughs) um i can start with some of my favorites um yeah all right some some of my favorite work isn't even sound design like i love sound design and i love what i'm getting to do and and creating all this content for different people to use but some of my favorite work is actually my remix work like working with artists and stems and uh making cool beats, and um, uh, like one of the ones that put me on the map in a big way is uh, uh, Chester Bennington is also from, was also, rest in peace, uh, was a dear friend of mine, uh, was the singer of Linkin Park, and he's from Arizona. Um, uh, I grew up in Arizona, of course, and uh, thanks to them, I got to do a really cool remix of uh, Faint, um called faint emt remix and i didn't realize like i just did this really cool remix but i didn't realize it was going to catch on as much as it did once lincoln park was promoting it back then and we've had like over 100 million listens on all kinds of different channels um and it kept getting pulled down because uh, different fans of lincoln park would stick it on their own channel and then they'd have <laughs> 28 million views and then pulled down and then another 20 million like this thing would did really well. And I was really, really proud of that one. Uh, it was, I, I did some of my vocals on it. So I got to sing with Chester on it. So it was kind of fun. And then, uh, but yeah, that's one of my favorite ones. Uh, I just love remixing. I love taking art and saying, how can I change this? How can I sculpt it into something a little bit different? Uh, yeah. you know, and I, I have strings and all kinds of orchestral and cinematic stuff to it. So it was really, really fun. Um, and then of course, um, Most some of the most challenging stuff I do is sound effects for video games, because a lot of times you'll work with a video game developer that goes, "Okay, we're going to work on magic spells now. So this spell is like um, it it needs to sound like uh, uh, smoke. And then it has to morph and like then you you turn something in and they're like, yeah, it's cool. But can you change this or that? And then you have to add like six more layers to it. It's like not magic enough for them. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then but you do that for so many different spells and things and then you turn in all this stuff um, but at the end of the day when you hear it in the game you're like okay that was cool that was awesome so it was kind of worth it but yeah it's just that the back and forth of getting the sound effects right on video games is definitely um, quite a challenging task because <laughs> well, I'm sure they have something in their
2: head of what it's supposed to be
1: well but... it's not even that they're more like um, we'll know it when we hear it like Uh, they don't really give you direction they're just like yeah i don't know what it is but just do a bunch of stuff send it to us and then when we hear what we like that's when we'll say yes (laughs) and that happens a lot with music where uh some companies they design by committee in that regard where they're like okay it has to sound like uh rock meets um You know uh, underwater and you're like i don't know what that means but i'll give it a shot Uh, your direction's (laughs) a little bit vague but okay and then you turn in something that it sounds exactly like that and then they're like yeah no that's not what we were thinking we actually want it to be more like uh hans zimmer meets metallica and then my first thought is well why don't you just go hire hans zimmer or metallica well we can't afford them it's like well then just you know Uh, Let your designer make a little bit of decisions to help you get to uh, your own original sound instead of, you know. So that's kind of fun to to play with, you know, that sort of aspect. But yeah, it's like designed by committee a lot of times. Um, Mm. But at the end of the day, it's fun to work on this stuff. And even if I'm having to do that sometimes, um, it could be so much worse. Like I love that I even get to play with audio and it really does feel... Uh, magical like uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Tesla where um, you know the secrets of the universe are sound and frequency and you've probably heard that quote from Nikola Tesla Um, but uh, but it's true I feel like music as you guys know probably from having favorite bands and stuff is a form of mind control like it, it, it hypnotizes you when you get like when I put Radiohead on in the car and I'm driving I'm like in a zone like I can drive so good when there's music on like I'm like like safely going through lanes and like it's somehow music just like I have goosebumps just telling me that and I feel like all of us as humans have that sort of natural connection to music It's mm-hmm. saved my life so many times uh to uh like when I'm feeling really sad or depressed or whatever if I put on just some kind of music I'm, I'm now away from earth. I'm in my own little zone. And I feel like I'm not alone when I say that because I talk to so many uh, music fans and just other humans that are like, yep, that's the power of music. And to be one of the crafters and creators of the tools and the, the source and, and content and instruments that so many awesome composers and designers get to use, that's a huge honor. So I feel like I'm uh, uh, serving other people. So it's nice. Oh that's super cool. <laughs> uh,
0: wow. Yeah. Um I feel very similar. Um like classical in general tends to have more of a um emotional response for me than a lot of other music just uh, it kind of just fades into the background. Um so yeah, I can I can relate a little bit to that.
1: My my uh, uh, comment on that is that one of my favorite artists in the world, and I listen to like everything from the hardest core metal to you name it, like I love it all. But my favorite artist, without a doubt, is Enya. <laughs> she's so, she's like, she's, oh my God, she's she's like above on so many different levels, uh, ahead of all of us. And and I love her story. I love the way that she writes. I love um, just the world she takes us to and um and there's so many like of my friends that are like some of the most hardcore guitar players in the world that'll say like yeah and he was my favorite too so it's kind of neat that because um, you're right like we're like as much as it's fun to fit into certain genres for like the product or the commercial side of it it's all music is just music no matter what we're listening to and you're right classical and ambient and um just that kind of stuff. And when I went to Ireland, we made sure to drive by Enya's house and saw her castle. We're like, whoa, we oh, just drove cute. by Enya's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, We do have another question from YouTube. This one's actually from our friend Ant Pruitt. Um, He says, Timbaland mentions his mom embracing him beating and tapping on things as a small child. Uh, This pretty much led him into his career early. Uh, Was this skill something that came to you early on or later in life?
1: Yeah, so um, my first um, experience with recording was actually when my parents in the 80s got me one of those boom boxes that had a tiny little mic on it (laughs) <laughs> and you could actually press record on the tape and then when i heard my voice back i was like oh i can record oh i was just and and, and then i would flip the and it, when it had two tapes it, um, i could flip them and then add more layers and that's how i was layering audio um oh, kind wow. of old school tracking um but uh and then of course i was being really loud in my room making all kinds of crazy uh synth stuff and noise basically and my parents were just like oh turn it down (laughs) but I was um but yeah no I I was in choir I was a choir boy so I learned music from singing as a tenor in choir and uh uh and that was the elective I chose in high school and stuff so um and then I got into like guitar and bass and uh keyboard and and things like that and um and Timberland's a really big inspiration of mine we actually Got to both work on and promote um, uh, a piece of software called StageLight with Intel, and uh, also uh, Lincoln Park got to do as well. And it got renamed as uh, ZenBeats. So Roland bought it, and now it's called Roland ZenBeats. And it had um, a lot of cool drum kits that Timbaland and Lincoln Park and stuff worked on. So, um, and I love Timbaland's, uh Instagram. I love all the cool uh videos he shows of him working on beats and just it's it's just really positive stuff so that's awesome
0: yeah he mentioned actually and goes on to mention that he he did that too uh he had and then had a tiny casio keyboard that had a sampler on it so that's yeah oh
1: when i got my first keyboard (laughs) uh i told my dad i was like i don't care what it is it just has to have midi out because like i couldn't afford like the high-end korgs and yamahas and all that stuff or 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 what i really wanted but if i was going to get a first keyboard and it was a casio and you know what casio makes good stuff and they're great starter keyboards and even today some of their low-end stuff is really awesome and as a kid i was just happy that in the early 90s i had the ability to plug midi out into cakewalk into a sound blaster card on a really old computer and actually record notes and stuff and um just what a beautiful way to start. It was just, it was cool. And it gave me appreciation of all the, you know, the, the better keyboards you can get today um, to have experienced it from that side first. You know, I, I definitely, you know, didn't get all this stuff overnight.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, neat. Although, oh, oh. I, I just your excitement. And, l- and love for this is, is infectious. It's super cool. I love uh, you guys. I'm, I'm feeling it. It's so cool. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> this is really neat. Um, is there anything uh, that you're looking forward to in the future of um, just audio in general or uh, in particular like VR or um, remixing and, or anything that you're involved in the future of your niche? That you can talk yeah. about, of course, because yeah, so... <laughs> I realize we're all a little <laughs> touching on NDA stuff sometimes.
1: <laughs> I am really excited that I got chosen to be the score composer for a new horror uh, survival kind of video game, hmm. and uh, I am i won't say the name of it, but I'm sure with a few Google searches people will figure it out, but uh, it's kind of like, um, I love post-apocalyptic audio design anyway. like. I grew up on, like, Fallout and things like that, so I'm really into that kind of world. Um, and uh, and I love zombies, and I love just, um, like, Dying Light and The Last of Us, and, you know, I like these kind of... I even like the Half-Life Universe, um, what they've done with zombies and stuff. Like, it's just all of that is a big inspiration to me. So it was a huge honor that this wonderful Canadian team uh, has brought me on board as their score composer for this amazing, amazing game, and they're... Um, I, I wish I could say more about it for now, but I'm, I'm sure smart people will figure out what it is and stuff. But, uh, uh, so I'm going to do something, I'm going to pull out all the stops and do the most artistic, cool thing that I can dream up. And I'm glad that they're trusting me to do something really cool, uh, for their world and their characters and bring it all to life with music and stuff. And then as far as like VR and stuff, I'm very excited for when, um, More people can actually get it because I still feel that there's not enough people in VR like Mm -hmm. Even experiencing all the stuff that we've currently have on the market and once that stuff becomes more affordable um, We might have uh, a world like ready player one sort of I don't mean exactly Like that but just where people can jump in and have more fun and talk to each other in that way imagine these zoom calls with like avatars where our our lips are moving and stuff, and we're talking to each other that way. That's kind of cool because photogrammetry is getting really good um, for visual effects and stuff like that. And I can just imagine that uh, taking off in VR a lot more for like these kinds of uh, calls and stuff. Uh, I'm definitely very excited about um, a lot of new plugins and scents that I'm working on. And again, it's India's, I can't say what they are, but when the world (laughs) sees and hears these things, they're going to um, be so, so happy. And you have to understand, I do come from a time when um, we didn't have a plugin that could do everything. Like in the 90s, it was cool just to have a compressor, uh, software-wise. And now um, there's literally some VST or processor or plugin that can do everything from stutter editing, uh, which is when you chop up a beat into little pieces, like I came from a time when I would actually take the mouse and cut it up, paste, 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 paste. And now you can just go in Ableton live and twist a knob and go, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. you know, um, wow. it's, it's, but you know, the, a lot of us came from that time when we were like really doing surgical edits on audio, like Aphex twin style. And Aphex twin is another one of my favorite artists who kind of pioneered acid and, and, and stutter editing and cutting things up. And, uh, and he's like, he's one of the grandfathers of, the best electronic music in the world.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Right on. I'm curious. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll kind of touch on beginner stuff. Where these days, where, what, how, um, like, where, where do you start? Say, somebody's like, "Oh man, I, I feel, I feel similar." How, how do
1: I dabble? I think today is the most exciting time to get into audio and music. Because everyone that's young today that's getting good, or old, doesn't matter, um, we, they don't have the same hurdles that we all grew up with. There's literally, um, like even this thing, this whole software, like when we were first promoting it, like you could like lock it to a key, like say, I don't wanna play out of key, I'm gonna make this C major. And then no matter what you pressed on the keyboard, it would always lock and play the right notes for you. So people that were just kind of getting into like learning keys, and um, you know, coming up with chords and stuff—it's so neat that it was smart like that. And things like that get you into. It. I mean, later you should probably learn real chords and things like that. But just, <laughs> but, but to not scare people away and get people actually excited about like that—you can create like you yourself can create like dubstep or trap or orchestral even. And um, GarageBand made that possible as well um, when that came out. Like people don't even realize like even the most basic DOS come with some of the most high end uh, sound libraries and beats and orchestral stuff that you can sound really, really professional right out of the box. Um, you don't need to go spend a million dollars on all these crazy plugins and stuff. You can get that stuff later when you get better at um, kind of what your sound is and what you're doing. But when you're just starting, like like as long as you have a decent PC, even just a Core i3 or a Core i5, you can still do really professional productions. Um, uh, no matter what genre you're doing, like you have like whole guitar amps and guitar effects pedals built into DAWs now. Like you don't have to go out wow. and buy the the Boss stomp pedals. Those are still cool for stage, like when you're rocking out. But um, uh, at home, it's nice that you can just plug into an audio interface on into a laptop or or something like that uh, or a PC, and you can just um, just. Oh.
2: i'm
1: back
0: (laughs) oh let me rearrange things here before we transition back sorry about that everybody we had a bit of a hiccup again there we go (laughs) um not a good day for zoom yeah it's a it's a little well
1: just just to wrap up what i was saying is like there's even free software where you don't have to spend any money Hmm. um the software I grew up on, Cakewalk, which ended up at, at some points costing like $799 for like the pro version, is now completely 100% free. Like some uh, new company bought the source code and decided we don't want this software to die. So all those professional features are now just free. You just sign up, download it, and you have, you know, strings and beats and uh, compressors and limiters. And convolution reverb and impulse responses from uh, uh, concert halls and all that built into it, and it's free. So it's a magic time to be a young creator in audio and music, for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Someone
2: in. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say it just feels like right now for creating, like content creation, like anything, video, audio, games, like right now really does feel like, like the golden age right now. Like, cause yeah, like you're saying like there's so many free tools and they're so good. And there's so many resources and communities like go on Reddit, go on forums. Like there's a lot of really like
1: people will just give you advice and it's great. Oh yeah, and even on YouTube, it's like you don't even have to go to audio school anymore. Like there are so many detailed uh, walkthroughs and tutorials where they literally tell you exactly how to do something and these people spend all this time to create these wonderful to like even me i'm like a professional and i do all kinds of stuff but even i like to go in and learn uh, new things from other people because mm-hmm. i never feel like i know it all and i don't want to feel like i know it all i love just finding a new way to do something every day like oh i never thought of it that way or oh this guy's got this cooler way to do it or or um and i learned that when i was uh when i met the dust brothers They're this producer team in L.A. Um, They did like the Fight Club soundtrack and things like that. But they were always talking about how there was no right way to do anything. Like it was what felt right. Like uh, a lot of people are like, oh, you must aim the microphone exactly at this angle at the speaker. Or it must be you don't have to do that. Yeah, you can do that if you want a traditional sound. But if you want, you can throw the microphone in the corner of the room and get some weird uh, acoustic uh, you know, capture of it. You can put a uh, put it down a toilet if you want. Uh, <laughs> this is style, <laughs> um, you know, to get some weird underwater type stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, do that with a cheap microphone. Don't don't mess up something really nice. But but yeah, there's like there really is no right way to do it anymore. And a lot of times, uh, software is so smart now. A lot of plugins that we're working with now have AI built into them, hmm. so it can actually pre-analyze the audio ahead of time. And help you make smart decisions um, on how to mix it or how to add reverb. And a good example of that is this company called Isotope. Um, mm-hmm. I've known I've known them since they were giving out a free plugin called Vinyl back in the early 2000s. So and, use uh, that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's still a classic, great, great one. And then I it's became fun. friends with them, and then they brought me on to do like uh, presets and factory content for a lot of their different plugins. So. Uh, It's like an honor to this day to be part of the Isotope family, and just to see how (laughs) they've evolved, like from a small team to like this wonderful company making these amazing plugins uh, that kind of make mixing easier and more fun. And uh, you know, you can you want to sound like uh, uh, Dr. Dre's vocals, or you want to sound like you know um, uh, Britney Spears or whatever. Like these, their Nectar one can really like just a preset boom you're done (laughs) wow so it's cool that's pretty cool
0: oh that's neat um so uh, there's been some mention some some folk in the in the twitch chat are, are mentioning um audacity for audio recording and creating uh are there anything is there anything else that you would recommend for for those out there dabbling in this
1: yeah, Audacity is great. Um, it's, I see Audacity as more of just a, a... Uh-oh.
2: Uh-oh. We lose, Justin? I think so. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. No! <laughs> as, a, as a... Me uh, are you or you are God, who cares? <laughs> nope, hang on. Here we go. We're coming back.
1: Oh, my goodness. So Audacity is a... I was, I was saying audacity is more of like a, it's a great tool and it's, it's, um, on all platforms. It's on Linux and everything. So that's cool. I like that aspect of it. Um, but like he's coming back, what
0: well, Matt's catching up.
1: Oh, Matt's back. Okay. <laughs> oh, who was I gone? Oh, I, Houston everybody, looks fine to me.
0: Everybody got Justin. a little, a little skippy there.
1: <laughs> Sorry, oh, <man>. <sighs> <laughs> so um, gotta I gotta try that, Skype again <laughs> <laughs> um, I would just say like yeah Audacity is a good choice for general recording um, the Cakewalk's a good free choice because it doesn't cost any money uh, Zenbeats is a cool choice um, and you get a bunch of cool sounds with that there's um, there's a few like Linux ones but I haven't really uh, dove into that world too much uh, I'm more like a, a Windows person so I've kind of stick into that kind of thing um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's the other thing too, is this, don't think you have to waste your money on, uh, I shouldn't say waste your money, spend your money on like thousand dollar plugins. If you're just starting, there literally are thousands of free plugins. Uh, there's even a, a dog called Reaper Reaper mm-hmm. is, um, it does cost money, but it's like only 60 bucks, but it still fully works. Even if you don't pay that, and uh, you should have card to make it. But it's a fully functional um, DAW, and it works on uh, Mac and and PC just fine. So I found it was really kind of fun to do a lot of spatial projects in Reaper when I was doing some video stuff. And it comes with so many cool plugins, like, um, so, like, just on its own. So I mean, I just feel like, eventually, when you find your sound, and when you find what you're good at, what you want to do, yeah, you can start making decisions like, oh, I want to be like Deadmau5, so I'll go get Ableton. Or I want to be like, there's just different tools that different, different artists use for different types of music. But um, I've always been uh, system agnostic uh, because I do a lot of trade shows and um, conferences where I have to learn all the DAWs. I, and a lot of clients, they give me like sessions in Pro Tools, uh, Ableton, FL Studio, uh, Studio One, Sonar. And wow. to, so I forced myself to learn them all so that whatever client I was working with, I could keep it in the format that they wanted it when I turned it back into them. So, yeah.
0: Wow, man, I, I guess I'm a little surprised to hear that there's so many different tools and, and sounds, I suppose. Like like you were saying, like, oh, if I wanna sound like this artist or this one, and, and it's and there's just different, I guess, ways of accomplishing that sort of unique sound. Absolutely. Well,
1: and th- another trend happening right now in uh, in the audio industry specifically is they're kind of adopting what Adobe did. So you know how there's the Adobe Creative Cloud, and you pay a certain subscription fee, but you get the whole suite. It's all yours for a relatively uh, small fee um, that you can earn back by just getting some jobs. Well, um, you know, like uh, Stephen Slate Audio has like this – his whole suite of plugins that you can get for like, I think it's like 15 bucks or something like that, um, which is like compressors, limiters, uh, EQs, and just every which way to mangle and dis- destruct and create audio. There's um, Roland, as you know, the keyboard company that kind of uh, pioneered and created all these beautiful uh, 808, 909, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so they created a cloud called the Roland Cloud. And that one, I, I think that one's only like 15 bucks too. But basically you get all of their sense on your computer, Mac or PC, to go into any DAW and just play with it. And then they've got like Studio One Sphere. I, I I think that's also 15 where you get their whole DAW and all their sound libraries. So even if you're just dabbling and you're just starting and you just want to spend 15 bucks, those are good yeah. starting points, you know, if you've got a good computer and then if you decide it's not for you, you just quit the cloud, you know, quit the subscription. And then it was, you only spent 15 bucks. What is that? Like two trips to Taco Bell. I mean, come on.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> no serious business. That's yeah. cool. Really? Uh, let's see. Well, okay. That does bring us to a little bit over our hour. Um, if, uh, we'll, we'll give them maybe another minute or so if there's any final questions. Um, but um, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to shout out? Anything people should check out or, or know before we go?
1: Um, just uh, check out Puget Systems for, for sure. It's my, <laughs> my favorite uh, PC company, so check them out. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, check out my Black Fox Society sound library. It's really, really cool. And it's, it's got crazy beats in there and ambiences to play with. And uh, you can hear it all on, on my website. So yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. Well, all right. I guess we'll say goodbye. Thank
0: you, Justin, for taking time out of the day and, and joining us and providing a little insight into your piece of the industry. Uh, it's been really, really cool. I'm I'm stoked to, to kind of get a chance to talk to you again and kind of see what you've been up to. Um, and Matt, as well, thank you very much for, for joining us as well, taking time, and, uh, and our audience. Thank you for joining us. I you. apologize for our technical difficulties, but uh, thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, hey, and uh, we do this every Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Wednesday, we bring on our industry experts like Justin here. And um, and then on Fridays, we have our labs, a uh, rotation of our labs team to give a little hardware-software crossover. So uh, mark your calendars for that. Wednesdays, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific. And, uh, you know, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Hey. <laughs>